Hi there, this is Sharon Thomas and glad to have you along for this message in our foundational truth series called God's Church, Don't Mess It Up. I know that's kind of an interesting title and I want to share with you as we get started just how this all came about. I often speak at women's conferences and women's events, retreats, those kinds of things. That's what God has called me to do is really to teach women and to share God's word with them. But every now and then the Lord gives me an opportunity to share in a different venue and not too long ago I was actually asked to speak at a Baptist church on a Sunday morning and that was kind of different for me because it was kind of like preaching, you know? And usually that's not really uh, that's not really the role that I fulfill. And usually there's not a lot of men in the audience when we uh, meet together and the Lord gives me opportunity to speak. You know, women's ministry is really interesting. Sometimes people don't really know what to call you. Um, am I a minister? Am I a director? Am I a preacher? Uh, can I just be straight up with you and let you know that I'm not sure exactly what I'm supposed to be either. There's lots of things that I don't necessarily know the answer to, but this is what I am sure of. I know that I love God. I know that God loves me. I know that I love God's Word, and I am absolutely certain that God has called me to teach His Word. And so whenever He gives me the opportunity, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to do it. And so that particular Sunday morning, I guess I got to be the preacher. And as I began to ask the Lord, what would you have me to share with this church? God gave me a very strong word. Now, when we started this Foundational Truth series, honestly, I had not intended to do a message on the church. But this was such a powerful word of God in my own life and for this church that we decided we wanted to share it as a part of our Foundational Church, Foundational Truth series. See, all of us, if we're believers, we're part of the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, we might go to our different churches that function as local bodies of Christ, but we're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, and it is God's church, and He has a plan for it. And I want to just tell you, I love the church. I grew up in the church and had a wonderful experience growing up in the church, being loved on and nurtured. And so I just have a, a strong affection for the church. But the more I've gotten into the Word of God, I've seen more and more how often we're not really, we're not really in line with many of the things that God really began in the first place. As I got ready to speak at this particular church on that Sunday morning, I always try to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me to share? What would you have me to speak about? And specifically for that time is, Lord, what would you have me to share with your church on this day? And see, I didn't know much about that particular church. They had just asked me to come. I knew a couple of ladies there that we had done some ministry with. But I did know that that church belongs to God because it's His church. Well, usually my prayer time happens a lot in the mornings when I'm walking or running. So over a period of a few weeks as I was just really praying and saying, Lord, you know, what would you have me to share? Every time I would ask Him while I was out there running or walking, he kept putting Acts chapter 5 on my heart. So as I began to prepare to speak to this church, that's the first place I went. 
And sure enough, the Holy Spirit revealed to me some things that I believe he wanted to speak to his church that day. And really in my heart, I believe would be a good word for each of us as members of the Church of Jesus Christ to listen to, to consider, and to think about. And so we're going to just go to Acts 5. But first of all, we're going to start with a question that's going to take us there, that's going to lead us there. And here's the question. Have you ever noticed that any good thing that God does, man just tends to mess it up? I mean, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, it didn't take but a couple of chapters, and we had the biggest mess of all time on our hands, the fall of man into sin. See, here they had this perfect garden, perfect relationship with God, but in one action, all that changed. And then just three chapters later, it got worse and worse, so that by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, God is sorry that he even made man. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it tells us that when God looked upon the earth, he was sorry that he had created man because he saw that every intention of the thoughts of his hearts was only toward evil all the time. And so we all know that later, then the flood came after that. And and after the flood, things were fresh and things were new. In many ways, it was a fresh start for man. And yet again, by Genesis chapter 11, the pride of man is so great that God had to step in and to confuse their language. It's the same old story. God creates something new. He creates something good. And man blunders it up. You think about the promised land. God's mighty hand led his people to a new place of freedom, flowing with milk and honey. Didn't take long, though, before the people were all about themselves again. They weren't following God. In fact, when you get to Judges 21, verse 25, after the people had been in the promised land for a while, that verse tells us that in those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But here's the thing. They did have a king. God was their king. But the more they were intent on doing their own thing, you know what happened? All it got them was a mess. (laughs) We could go on and on, journeying through God's word and see over and over again how man takes what God designs and man messes it up. But where I really think God would like to speak to us um, today about is in looking at God's good gift of the church. What was the church like when he gave it to us? And what can that church easily become? Now, as we do that, I want us to remember that we are the church. We, the people, are the church. The church is not a building. The church is the people. You might remember that little rhyme if you grew up in church. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. See, we are the church. So what was the church like when God created it? You know, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. If you turn to Acts chapter 2, and eventually we're going to get to Acts chapter 5. I know I told you that, but turn with me first to Acts chapter 2 verse 37 and I want you to pay attention to some things that are very much alive in the church. Verse 37 it says, now when they heard this, 
Now let, let's stop and let's make sure we understand what this is. This is a message that the Apostle Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. He stood up in Jerusalem and preached to all these people who had gathered in Jerusalem. People from all different places and, and they spoke many different languages and Peter stood up and began to declare the gospel to them. And so when it says, now when they heard this, what this is referring to is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter just laid it out there. And I love that because you remember Peter, he wasn't so bold, you know, not too long before that when Jesus was crucified. But he has a new boldness now that the Holy Spirit has been released in his life and he has been set forth on a calling to preach the gospel. And he did. And it says, now when they heard this, in other words, when they heard Peter preaching the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified, and he kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, what can we see about this early beginning of the church? Well, number one, there was a strong preaching of the gospel, a preaching inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And there were people coming to know the Lord. People from all over the place were responding, many at one time. I'll never forget one day I went to a worship service. And it's probably the closest thing to this that I can remember. We got there and we, it, we were actually visiting this church. And so we weren't familiar with how they did things, you know. And we stood up to worship. The worship leader started leading with his excitement and exuberance. And all of a sudden, one of the pastors came into the baptistry, which was up above where the worship team was standing. And somebody came out to be baptized as we were worshiping. And I thought, well, isn't that just a wonderful way to start the worship service? And literally, as we sung for like the next 15 to 20 minutes, person after person, came through that baptistry and was baptized into Jesus Christ. And what an exuberant time of worship that was. And I remembered feeling like this is the church, seeing people added to the body of Christ and making commitment to him and worshiping him for it. Well, that's what it was like on that day that the church began. Keep reading with me in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So see, there was this continued devotion to the apostles' teaching, to being together and talking about what was going on in their lives as they knew Jesus Christ, to breaking bread together, to prayer. And there was this sense of wonder and awe at God, what they were doing. These early days of the church were amazing. Verse 44, And all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. See, there was this sense of an eternal mindset and perspective that just came over them as they gave their lives to Jesus. 
And then in verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It wasn't just a once a week thing. It was day by day, continuing with one mind. There was a unity. They were joining together. They were doing this in homes, doing this in the temple. They were taking their meals together. There was a gladness and a joy amongst them. And in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, this is what the church was like in the early days when it was still fresh off the tip of God's creative hand. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 23 with me. It says, And when they had been released. Now, who is they? <laughs> who is they? Well, Peter and John, they had been put in prison for being so bold in those early days of the church of preaching the gospel. Well, now they had gotten released. And they went to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord, and they said, O Lord, it is thou who just make the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And they went on to pray this prayer, just lifting the Lord up, realizing what he was doing in their lives, giving him the credibility for it, giving him the thanks for how he had rescued Peter and John and that, you know, affirming with him that he still had his hand on what was going on and just, just worshiping God. This is what was going on in the church, even amongst some persecution in those early days. Now, jump on down to verse 31 after their prayer. It says, and when they had prayed. So in other words, when they had finished praying, we're just going to keep our minds open here as we read this to see again what's going on in the church in these early days when God had first created it. It says, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. All of them, okay? Not just the, the preacher or the teacher, but all of them were filled with the Spirit. And they were speaking the Word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart. So there's this unity of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. In other words, they weren't being selfish, self-centered. You know, it's all about me, all about my needs. But it says, no, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of their sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as many had need. In other words, they were taking care of one another and putting one another's needs before their own. It says in Joseph, a Levite of Syrian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned attractive land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you see this happening again and again. Are you getting a picture here of what the early church was like? I mean, these days were something, were they not? I mean, wow. But don't forget that question. Hopefully it's lingering around in the back of your mind as you listen to this. Here's the question we've got to go back to. Why does man have to mess it up? When God does something really good, why does man mess it up? Well, let's read Acts 5. Keeping in mind all the good that's been going on in the life of the early church. But now things are about to change. We know that as Acts chapter 5 begins with that word. That word, but. 
See, whenever we see that, we know that things are about to change, and that's how it starts. It says, but. It says, but a certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now, there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. What is going on here? Why did Ananias and Sapphira have to do that when things were going so well? Why did they mess it up? I think we're going to find that out as we look into this text. But I think the bigger question for us as members of the church is this. If God has created something so awesome in the church, why do we have to mess it up? See, let's make this personal. Let's not just let this be something about Ananias and Sapphira. The church of Jesus Christ is a representation of the glorified body of Jesus. That is foundational truth for us. That is what the church is supposed to be. But all too often, it's a mess. See, it would be so easy to point our finger at everyone else as the reason why. But maybe today, the Holy Spirit would like to ask us some personal questions too. See, that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. The Holy Spirit asked them some questions. So let's just look at them and see what they are. The first question was, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? If you go back to the beginning of chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Basically, Peter's telling Ananias, look, this doesn't even make sense. And it doesn't. See, it doesn't make sense for us to be filled up with the plans and purposes of Satan when the Lord Jesus has given us the privilege of being filled up with the fruit of righteousness. Many of you know that as a ministry, we offer many memorization projects where we encourage scripture memorization. 
Right now, we're in the middle of a memorization project called Who Am I? Some of you that are listening, you might be doing that with us where we're memorizing scripture, verses that tell us about who we are in Christ, what our identity is. Well, one of those verses is Philippians 1.11. And it tells us that in our salvation, when God begins a good work in us, that we're actually filled up with the fruit of righteousness. See, when we're saved, we're reborn with the Spirit of God. We now have God's Spirit living within us. But here's the thing. While we're still alive on the earth, we also have a soul and a body. Let me expound on that for just a minute. First of all, we have a spirit. Our spirit is the place where God dwells within us. Now, many times, people don't have a spirit. You know why? Because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. In fact, that's the case for all of us before Christ. If you're a Christian today, then you have the Spirit of God living within you. His Spirit has been reborn in your spirit. But when you don't have the Spirit of God living within you, you're not a Christian. Your spirit is literally dead. Now, we all have a soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's that seat of our personality. It's what makes me different from from you and you different from me or the other people around you. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. What we think about, what we choose to do, and how we feel. And then everybody has a body. We all have a physical body. The, The Bible actually calls that like a tent for our spirit and our soul to dwell in while we're here on the earth. Now, the Spirit, if we're a believer in Jesus, is is there. He's living within us. He's been reborn in us. And when He comes to live in us, He's deposited a fullness of the fruit of righteousness in our lives. But even still, as we remain on this earth and live here until we get to glory, we can easily allow Satan to fill our hearts. But see, it's so unnecessary. In fact, it doesn't even make sense to do that. So just like Peter is saying here to Ananias, why would you even do this? Nobody expected you to do this. Just because everybody else is selling their land and giving the full proceed didn't mean that you had to do that. Now, let's think about this. Why did Ananias, why do you think Ananias did what he did? Why do you think he lied? What was the motive? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because Ananias wanted everybody to think he was something special. He needed the praise of man. He wanted the people around him in his church to pat him on the back and say, Great job, Ananias. Wow, look at everything that Ananias and Sapphira gave to God today. So instead of allowing the truth of the gospel to give him value value and approval in his life, Ananias wanted the praise of people. He wanted everyone to say, wow, look at how much he did. Aren't they awesome? They're the the best couple. He wanted their their name put on a plaque or whatever you want to say. See, Satan filled his heart up with a lie, telling him, hey, Ananias, you need the approval of people. And if you do this, they're going to approve of you. You know, everybody else is doing this. Don't you think you should do that too? Satan totally deceived him. Ananias and Sapphira messed up the church because instead of living in the fullness of the Spirit who now lived within them, they allowed their hearts to be filled with the lies of the enemy. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to ask us the same question as we get into His Word today 
and we consider this foundational truth about being the church and God's good gift of the church. The question is, why has Satan filled your heart to blank? You fill in the blank. You know, church messes come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. He might be saying, why has Satan filled your heart to create strife in my church? Why has Satan filled your heart to be selfish and not to serve in my church? Why has Satan filled your heart to gossip about people in the church? Why has Satan filled your heart to speak against the leadership of the church? Why has Satan filled your heart to withhold your offerings from the church? Why has Satan filled your heart to complain? Why has Satan filled your heart to neglect the worship of God? Why has Satan filled your heart to? On and on it can go. You fill in the blank. When we're not walking in the fruit of righteousness that has been given to us, we've allowed Satan to fill our hearts. And we might just think it's some isolated thing over here. Just, you know, maybe having a small impact in our life. But we need to understand, foundationally, we're a part of the body of Christ. And so if we're allowing Satan to lie to us, we're messing up the church. And it's so unnecessary. It doesn't have to be that way. See, Ananias and Sapphira were not required to give all the money. It would have been fine for them. Just like Peter says, did it not remain in your control? There was no rules in the bylaws that said they had to sell their money and give everything. People were doing that out of gladness of heart because God had just given them a spirit of generosity. But if Ananias and Sapphira needed half of that money, it would have been fine for them to just give half of it to the church. But somehow Satan got in there and lied to them. And it was so unnecessary for them to receive those lies and to believe them and then to act on them. Let's keep reading. We've already seen the question that Peter asked first. Let's start at the beginning of verse 4. It says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Here comes the next question. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Ever heard the term, Satan made me do it? It's not true. (laughs) Never has been, never will be. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Eve. Sure he did. And and I'll just say he did a really good job of it. (laughs) Just like many times he does a really good job of it with us. But ultimately, Eve made the choice herself. Her first mistake was really talking to him at all. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, if you've got a Bible in front of you, you may want to turn there. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 you find that there's a conversation going on between the serpent and Eve. And Eve talked to him. Eve engaged in conversation with him as he began to wield his ways and his lies in her life. And so often that is our first mistake too. Oh, how much better for us when we fill our minds and our hearts with the wisdom and the truth of God. When we're so full of his truth that we don't even have time to talk to the voice of the enemy. In the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, the demon Screwtape says this of Christians that the demons are trying to lead astray. He says, it's not so much the bad stuff we put into the Christian's mind that makes him fall. 
It's the good stuff that we keep out of his mind that will bring him down. You know, if Eve had filled her mind with the truth that God had told her and put all around her, she would have had no room or time to even talk to the enemy. But she did. She did. And ultimately, she made a horrible choice, and her husband as well. Later, when God questioned Adam, you know what Adam did? He pointed the finger at Eve. And see, we're so good at that. Always pointing the finger, either at Satan or at others. But James 1, 14 through 15 tells us that each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And that is exactly what happened. Ananias allowed Satan to fill his heart with lies. And then he allowed sin to be conceived in his heart as he was led away and enticed by his own desire to sin against God. And Ananias suffered death because of this sin. You know, what does this have to do with us? Well, often as problems arise in the church, we are so quick to point the finger. Point it at Satan. Point the finger at the pastor, at the leaders, at somebody we can't get along with or we don't agree with. We'll point the finger at anybody but ourselves. We can get caught up in a mess and we think it's all about the people involved. But as God's word so clearly relates right here, let's let it wash our minds to see what the mess is really all about, what the true essence of that mess is all about. Messes in churches are all about individual people allowing Satan to fill their hearts. Messes in churches are all about individual people conceiving sin in their hearts. And messes in churches are all about sin against God. See, messes in churches are not about hurting the people involved. They're about sinning against God, messing up what he created to be good. And here's what I have found to be true. Unless people get their hearts right with God, the mess will never get healed. And it will eventually lead to death, just like it did for Ananias. I believe God was sending a clear message in this account, in this story of Ananias and Sapphira, that actually happened in the early days of the church. And here's what the message is. The wages of sin is still death. Sin brings death. Now, once we're saved, we will not experience spiritual death. We are going to join God in heaven one day. Our salvation is secure. But we can create a lot of death for ourselves and the people around us by our actions. You you know, there's more than just a physical death. You do know that, right? See, when people allow Satan's plans and sin to keep taking place in the church and creating a mess, death takes place. Think of it like this. A death of the truth being told. A death of relationships. A death of true worship. A death of the vision of God. Maybe a death of evangelism. Maybe a death of of pure fellowship. Maybe a death of righteous living. A death of good deeds. You know, we talk about churches dying. Well, we say that because it's true. When sin rules in individual hearts, the church will die. It will die to the purposes that God created it for. And it will become 
just another organization of people in the community trying to do some good stuff every now and then. Ananias is a good example of that and one to wake us up today, to let him speak to us today. So let's let the word of God ask us as an individual today. Is there any place in our hearts where we have allowed sin to be conceived in regard to the church that we're a part of? The death it will bring is not worth it. Now, just for the record, let me tell you, I'm not here to tell you your church is a mess. (laughs) Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I I don't know because there's going to be people listening to this from many, many churches, but we can know this. The church of Jesus Christ as a whole is not nearly living up to what God created it to be. See, I travel enough and I meet with enough people to know that the church of Jesus Christ is in many ways a mess. Far from the vision and purity that we see in those early verses in the book of Acts. But let's look back at this passage because the mess isn't even over yet. Let's keep reading in verses 7 through 10. Of chapter 5. It says, Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and Ananias' wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. What was it that Peter asked Sapphira? He said, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Isn't this interesting? You know, I see something really important here. I see how the Lord treats Sapphira as an individual. You know, each person is individually responsible before the Lord. But I also see how important it is to the Lord what we do together. Do you hear the question here? He says, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? See, it could have been that Sapphira knew nothing about it. It could have been that Sapphira did know, but as the Holy Spirit hadn't convicted her, she listened and came clean, and he wanted to give her the opportunity to do that. He treated her as an individual. Or it could have been that Sapphira conspired with her husband, which was actually the case. That's exactly what happened. Here's what I've found. After six years of traveling and speaking and working with all kinds of churches, I converse with a lot of people. And a lot of times over the months leading up to event, we we converse back and forth quite a bit. We get to know each other. And usually discussion opens up hearts and we share what the struggles are so that as I come in, I'm able to minister, you know, to some of the needs. And most of the time, here's what I find. It's people conspiring in sin together that tend to make the biggest messes of all. Sin is ugly. But sinning together, well, that's even uglier. And sinning together creates an an even bigger mess in God's church. Ananias and Sapphira conspired together, and it created death for both of them. See, it's bad enough when our individual hearts get filled up with Satan's lies 
and we individually sin against God, but when we invite someone else to do it with us, it creates even more death. Most of the messes in churches fall under one of these categories. Slander and gossip, strife, immorality, shunning the truth, misuse of money. You know what? Most of these things happen in pairs or in groups. This day, as you listen to God's word here and you allow him to ask you these same questions that he was asking Ananias and Sapphira, allow the Holy Spirit to ask you that question. Is there any place where you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test in His church? Make sure that you're not conspiring together with anyone in sin against what God created to be so good. You know, these are just good questions for us. God's Word is so good. It's so cleansing. Because see, even if these questions reveal something to us in our lives that that needs to change, There's always a place of mercy and forgiveness and new beginnings with God. I love what it says in verse 11. It says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. See, as these things took place, it created a fear upon the church, the whole church. A reality check happened, that light bulb moment, remembering this church belongs to the holy, mighty God. This is God's church. I live with the Holy Spirit inside of me. I have to live and move and have my being in His church, in His power, and in His way. And sometimes I think we need that same reality check. Even living here today with churches on every corner and all the technology that we have to get the gospel out, it comes back to these same simple things. This is God's church. And a great fear needs to fall upon us as we live and move and have our being in His church. Not a fear like a dread or an intimidation, but a holy reverence for what God created. Not to mess it up, but to help to bring life to it, to bring excitement and exuberance for the purposes for which God created it to be. A few weeks ago, I was walking and praying and I I was just praying over my own household, over my own family and you know there's just been some things building up in my heart and so all of a sudden it just kind of came tumbling out and I was literally saying these things out loud and I was saying, Lord, I want my house to be a place of peace. I want it to be full of life. I want it to be full of the word. I want it to be full of hope, full of joy, full of truth. I want my house to be full of encouragement. I want it to be full of a love for your ways, full of mercy, full of purpose and vision. God, for eternal things. I went on to pray. I said, I want my house to be a place where grace is reigning all the time in me and in my husband and in my kids. I want righteousness just to be flowing, Lord, through my house, through the rooms and the conversations in my house. I want honor and respect to be practiced in my home. God, I want our home to be a place where we love truth. I just went on and on. These things, these desires in me that God has been building up just came tumbling out in prayer before Him. And as I took my breath and, and got my breath, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit blew across my soul. And he, it, it was like He said, Sharon, I understand. Because those are the same things that I want for my house. Those are the same things that God wants for His house, for His church. You know, I pray that God's Word has cleansed our hearts to remember the foundation of the church, 
It's Jesus Christ. It's his church. It's his house. He has plans for it. Just like verse 11 says, may we as individuals have a fear and a reverence for what God wants his church to be. It's so good when the word cleanses us. If you turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, you find a, a really practical passage about husbands loving their wives. But it also reveals some things about the church. Because as it tells the husband how to love the wife, it reveals the relationship of Christ and the church. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. See, it gives us the picture that Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. We're the bride of Christ. And we need to be beautiful and ready for our bridegroom. Back in these days when Ephesians was written, when a woman was to come and meet her bridegroom, she would have a special cleansing, a special washing, where she would just be made the most beautiful that she had ever been. In many ways, like we today, try to make that the most beautiful day for a bride, to meet her bridegroom. Well, as the church, we want to be that beautiful bride. I knew a woman at one time, and her name was Merrick. And she was kind of an eccentric type. Her and her husband ran the local community theater where we lived. And I was involved in that theater, so I knew them. And they were believers. But when I first got to meet her and talk to her, I became aware of just kind of how eccentric she is. And I say that because a lot of time artsy, creative people are just that way. And I can tend to be that way too. So certainly no judgment involved there. I actually love that when people are, are like that, that creativity that just flows out of them in, in so many ways. And, and this particular woman, her name was Merrick, and one of the first times I was ever around her, we were just in conversation with several people, and all of a sudden she broke the conversation and just said, is my veil on straight? Is there any wrinkle on my dress? Do you see? And I remember looking at her and thinking, what? You're wearing jeans and a t-shirt. What are you talking about? And I was kind of taken aback. And as I listened, I began to get a clue of what she was talking about. And the more I began to be around her, I realized that every now and then she would just do this. See, Merrick was a strong believer in Jesus with a strong understanding of her responsibility to be a part of the body of Christ. And so she would just break into these questions sometimes, just like you or I would maybe look at someone and say, hey, you know, is there any wrinkle or spot on my, on my dress back here like where we can't see? Or, you know, is my hair okay? Does it look all right? You know, like that. She was asking as the bride of Christ, is there anything that you see in me that's a mess, that's messed up? Because if it is, I want to get it right. And I'm giving you the freedom to tell me if I'm a mess in any way because I don't want to mess up God's church. I love that question, and I'll never forget that about her. Because, wow, what an eccentric question, but what a pure heart to want to take what God has created is so good to realize our part in it and to want to be beautiful for Him. See, I believe God's Word has washed us today. It's cleaned us up. It's asked us some individual questions to make us think, to search us out, to make sure that we're doing our part to take care of God's church because we don't want to mess it up. We don't want to mess it up. Not too long ago, a local pastor here in our area was uh, conducting the, the wedding for his daughter and her fiancé. 
and I didn't particularly get to, I didn't actually get to go to this wedding, but I had several friends that did, and they told me about it. And it was a pretty big wedding, pretty big event in our community. But as she uh, came down the aisle and then joined her fiance and her father stood there to talk to them, he opened up his, his sermon for the wedding by recounting just the history that each of the bride and the groom had in their family of untainted marriage, meaning untainted by divorce. You know, every marriage is going to have its struggle. But he went through the groom's history. And for 300 years or more, here this groom's family, his heritage, his family heritage, no divorce. And then he did the same thing for his daughter. And he went through the history of their family and just talked through all these couples leading up to her birth and, and her life that had you know, sustained these marriages by the grace of God. So he told this story, these two stories, and, and then added those years together. And it was like over 600 years of marriage that hadn't been messed up. And he looked at them and he pointed his finger at the bride and he pointed his finger at the groom. And he said, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. You know, as we conclude this foundational teaching on the church, the church of Jesus Christ began with the foundation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we look in God's word, we see the amazing things that God began in the beginning. And we can look through church history and see the amazing things that God has done through the church over the years. And I believe the message that the Holy Spirit wants to give each one of us today is, don't mess up my church. Don't mess up my church. You know, as you're listening today, I am pretty certain that you're a part of a local church body. And if you're not, you should be. You need to join in on the church in some way. Whether that means you go to a mega church or you're a part of a home church that meets in someone's home, there's many different expressions of God's church. But I believe that whatever church you're a part of, that's a church that God wants to work through in great ways. Because ultimately, we're all a part of the church. The church, His church, the body of Christ. And maybe today as you've listened and you've heard these questions. Allow the Holy Spirit to search out your heart and to ask you those questions. Maybe the church that you're a part of will become even greater, even more closely connected to the purposes and great plans for which God created it as you take on the responsibility for your part in that church. What a privilege to be a part of God's church. What a privilege. I thank you for listening today. I'm so privileged to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. You are as well. Let's let God's good word wash over our souls so that we can be the best part of that church through the grace and the love of Jesus Christ that we can be. God bless you. God bless the church where you serve and worship.